Good morning, everyone here and everyone online. It is so good to be together and see the hall so full. So, this morning we are continuing our series on the parables. And here's a fun fact. Can't hear? It's on? Is that better? Right. Hello, everybody, and I'll start again. So, this morning, as we continue our series on the parables, here's a fun fact. One third of all the things that Jesus taught, he taught in parables. Did you know that? That's a lot. Just as well we're giving them our attention, isn't it? As there's obviously so, so much to learn from them. A good definition of a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. How about that one? So, today's parable is about two builders, a wise and a foolish one. And in some ways, this has been reduced to a children's song, one which you might have learnt in Sunday school. So, children, are you ready to sing along and help me? So, have a listen and feel free to sing along. It might bring back some memories, and we might even know some actions. So, let's go. Matthew chapter 7 and verses 24 to 27. So let's see what he says. Therefore, if everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, the rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, 
yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus opens the parable with the word, therefore. This refers back to what he's been teaching in the previous passage. So Matthew from chapter 7 and verses 21 to 23, right before Jesus spoke the parable, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is a solemn warning and we would do well to heed it. We need to be doing the Lord's will here on earth if we are to be fit. Ray, do you remember the word you brought up for us at the prayer meeting yesterday? We need to be fit to enter the kingdom of heaven. What a shock if we thought we'd been good Christians and get told plainly by our resurrected Lord that he never knew us. And rather than seeing us as good Christians, he calls us evildoers and sends us packing. If we are to be likened to the wise builders, there are two conditions we must fulfill. Firstly, we are to hear his words. We weren't in the audience when he spoke them, but we can have a pretty accurate version of what he said in the book of Matthew. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it concludes with this parable. We did our last sermon series on this topic. So if you're unsure of what Jesus said, look it up in your Bible and go back and listen to the teachings on it. Make sure you have heard his words. The second condition is we must put them into practice. Have we truly, as the children's song says, built our lives on the Lord Jesus Christ? How much of what we learnt of the Sermon on the Mount and the rest of Jesus' teachings have we put into practice? It's quite a challenging question for me, and I'm sure it is for you. The solemn warning is, if we don't put the words of Jesus into practice, we will be like the foolish man, and our spiritual house in this life will fall and come to utter ruin in the life to come. 
This parable is also told in Luke from verse 46 in chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Once again, Jesus emphasizes obedience to his teachings, not just lip service. I could ask Mark Stoneham, who is a building inspector, to come and give us a talk on the importance of good foundations when building. And I'm sure he could tell us some horror stories of the disasters that occur when the foundations are weak. Instead, you're off the hook, Mark. I'm going to ask us to look at our foundations. What biblical values and truths are our spiritual foundations built on? If we don't have a solid foundation, at the first sign of the torrents or attacks, we will stumble, and it could even destroy our faith. Paul gives some sound advice to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verses 18 and 19. Paul says to Timothy, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is how we lay a firm foundation, by doing what Jesus taught us to do. In Luke's account, we're told that the wise builder had to dig down deep to get to the rock on which to build his foundation. In the Israel of Jesus' time, villages would only build in summer, the rains come in winter, and the ridges on which Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Hebron sat occasionally had snow. Summer provided warm, dry days to build, but there was a downside. The soil, with its high clay content, was extremely hard. To reach the rock below could mean digging down through the clay as much, perhaps, as three meters, or even more. This took a great amount of effort. If the foundations were not dug down to the rock, the rains could turn into a flood in the winter, turning the clay into a muddy, sloshy, unstable mess. The house would collapse, 
and be completely destroyed. A point to note is that the flood struck both houses, the one on the rock and the one on the sand. Even though we build our foundation on the teaching of Jesus Christ, we are not immune to the storms of life, but the depth of our faith will determine whether we stand or fall. Some of the things Jesus had taught on in the Sermon on the Mount dealt with anger, adultery, divorce, revenge, loving our enemies, generosity, prayer, fasting, anxiety, and judging others. That's challenging enough. But are we willing to confront the attacks on our Christian faith and values in today's post-Christian era, where God's word is constantly challenged and ungodly values control the society we live in? The world is changing. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the air. So begins Peter Jackson's film adaptation of The Lord of the Rings. And there may be no better words to capture what a follower of Jesus faces in the Western world today. We must understand the world we live in if we are to impact it with the gospel. In Mark Sayer's book, Disappearing Church, he lays out some shifts in today's society that impact on how this generation lives and thinks. And here are three that I've picked out. The first shift that he comments on is the highest good is now individual freedom and happiness. These days, it's all about us as individuals, how I feel and what I think are the deciding factors of my reality and the reality around me. The Bible as the foundation or standard of how we should live has been replaced by my experiences, my desires, my preferences, and my feelings. Take marriage, for example. Today, a married person may say, my feelings have changed for this person, and now I feel differently, and I am what I feel. That means we should separate. Because of this kind of logic, the divorce rate has grown to five times what it was 50 years ago, um, and that is if they're actually married in the first place. When it comes to religion, people today will say, I believe in God, but I won't go to church. I'm not going to let a church and an old-fashioned Bible tell me what to believe. Western culture tries to keep some of the good aspects of Christianity, things like morality, equality, and justice, while taking away its costs, commitment, and restraints. For example, 
A person in today's culture will fight for animal rights and the environment. Good. While claiming to be a sexually liberated atheist. Not so good. His argument will be, you can't tell me what to do with my body, but I can tell you what to do with the environment. You can't tell me not to sleep around, but I can tell you not to go to the zoo. As Christians, how do we speak into this? It's challenging, isn't it? The second shift that Mark Sayers brings out is that traditions, regulations, and social ties that restrict freedom, happiness, and self-expression are being deconstructed and destroyed. To the average Western person, religion is old-fashioned and useless. People are moving away from institutions like the church because they believe all authority and all authority structures are bad. The gospel is not only that Jesus is our savior, but also that he's our Lord, meaning that it's about obedience. He not only shapes what we believe, but he shapes the way we live, our money, our sex life, how we treat our neighbor, etc. These restrictions are not acceptable to the Western mind that says, you can't tell me how to live my life. I'll do it my way. My freedom, happiness, and self-expression are all that matter to me. It's difficult, isn't it? How do we as Christians face and deal with these challenges? This is the society this is the culture that we live in. One more. The third shift he talks about, ethics have become prioritized around the quest for individual freedom and self-expression. One of the most important shifts that has taken place in our culture or society is that we, the church, sorry, that we, the church, must understand and recognize is in regard to the question of gender. Obviously, this is a very complex issue, and I can't possibly do it justice here. But can we graciously and knowledgeably have conversations from our foundation on the rock? Or, as perhaps with other issues I've touched on, is our biblical foundation a bit shaky, or even like sinking sand. Issues like sex, gender, abortion, gay marriage, etc., are very popular examples of how the principle of ethics has become polarized around the quest for individual freedom and self-expression. How do we speak a biblical worldview into these issues in a way that is persuasive, winsome, and non-judgmental when the church is viewed as anti-gay, judgmental, too political, racist, and hypocritical? How do we? 
How do we do this? Another thing about our current culture is that our private worlds are in crisis. Our inside worlds. Things like anxiety, depression, loneliness, bullying, domestic abuse, addictions, obesity are on the rise. Life expectancy is declining. How do we respond to these challenges? What can we, the church, do about the state of the soul in our society and culture? We have to build our house on the rock, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We have to really believe and then properly communicate that the answer is Jesus. The answer is life in the spirit. The answer is the gospel, the good news. We are the ones who can offer hope. We are the ones who can provide answers to the crisis of our individual identity. But only if our house is built on the rock and we can stand firm. The warning stands. If, like the foolish builder, we don't have a deep and firm foundation, our faith will collapse and the flood of criticism we face as Christians will destroy us. So what foundation is your faith built on? Are you a wise or a foolish builder? Do you need to strengthen your foundation and so thrive in this life and store up treasures in heaven for the next? Does your life with Christ need to go deeper? Are you a hearer and a doer of the word? There's so much to think about as we examine the parable of the wise and foolish builders. This is not just a story for children, but a wonderful opportunity to examine the depth of our faith, our love, and our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and the truth of his words for us to live our lives by. It is a warning to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that's from Hebrews 12, verse 2. And to live our lives the way he has commanded us. This is an opportunity to choose between living as a wise or foolish builder. hope I've given you some food for thought. And maybe just gone a little deeper into a parable that... We perhaps sang at Sunday school and teach our children and hadn't given too much thought after that. There's so much, isn't there? So just for our discussion today, and um, after we've done this, we'll stop the live stream, and then you guys can go onto the Zoom and chat, and we'll chat in our groups. So I've just said, have an open discussion on what you have heard today. And then be sure to pray for one another. 
especially in the area someone might have found challenging. We are here as the Grace family to strengthen, encourage, and uphold one another in love. So can we have a loving and honest and open discussion? And then can we pray? There's some really big issues here that we need to give some thought to. So thank you very much, everyone, and enjoy your discussions and by those on the live stream. Thank you.